Spalon Montage is the Twin Cities premier salon and spa destination and proud official hair sponsor of the Minnesota Vikings cheerleaders. With three convenient locations in Edina, Woodbury, and Chanhassen, there is a Spalon close to you. Visit online at Spalon.com. Well, the 2023 Minnesota Vikings season has come to a close. We gear up for the offseason here on the Minnesota Vikings podcast. My name is Gabe Henderson. I'm alongside Vikings.com's Tatum Everett, Jay Nelson, and our producer, Eric Davidson. Guys, before we start talking about the offseason, uh, we have to recap this 30-20 to loss at the Detroit Lions this past Sunday that the Vikings suffered in just unfamiliar fashion. We, we knew going into this game that uh, there was a number that we wanted Justin Jefferson to reach. He reached that, but also reaching that number, we wanted to see this Vikings team get a win with three with a 3% chance of making the playoffs. Granted, uh, we didn't get the help from the teams that we needed to get help from, but the Vikings still end their season at 7-10. and 10. Jay, we'll start with you just understanding that the Vikings just didn't have the season that it wanted to, how would you sum it up? I think that there was so much adversity this this entire season, especially on the injury front, that you're going into Detroit, they're flying high, they they raised a banner you know, yeah. into the building for the first time in 30 years. In that game, you put up a fight and – you know, like you said, you know, Justin got his, but you put up a fight and 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 it just got to the point where when they were able to, you know, hit the final strike on their end and um, kind of put the game away, I think there was just kind of this feeling of, you know, all your efforts that you put forward in that game, it wasn't going to matter playoff wise at that point. And, and, you know, you just kind of read the writing on the wall. So for me, it was bittersweet. It was a very difficult season. And hopefully for this team, they can take solace in knowing that they fought until the end and, and then um, just kind of try to revamp and regroup and, and see what they've got for the upcoming 2024 season. Yeah, it, it's hard sometimes to kind of have a takeaway in that game where you're like, Okay, like they they really did try super hard. They were in it until the very, very, very end. And that's awesome to see. You didn't feel like despite the loss, you know, you knew that they didn't get blown out or anything. So they didn't quit. So you didn't have that like attitude about it when it ended. And I think the if JJ hadn't gotten the thousand yards, I think we would be feeling very different about what happened on Sunday today. Yeah, because we we've been in a situation. I believe it was what two years ago two years, where yeah. Justin Jefferson had the opportunity to, I guess, have the the most receiving yards in the first two years of someone's career, and he was like eighteen yards away or it, something. It was crazy, and he was open, and Kirk Cousins just went the other way with the ball, and KJ Osborne scored a touchdown. And uh, we had plenty of opportunities to get JJ that that stat, but still. The fact that Kevin O'Connell was was very intentional. You could tell, especially towards the end, that he was very intentional with getting with getting JJ that a thousand yard mark. But still, to get 192 yards in a game like that takes work. And uh, kudos to JJ just sticking with it and um, being. What are you talking about? That's just the day in the life of Justin (laughs) Jefferson. I I was wasn't wasn't there a stat that he averaged like 150 yards a game when Kirk Cousins was was his quarterback this year? I mean, it it does seem like against the Lions. That's what I was going to say. I mean, his stats against the Lions are insane. Insane. Got like almost 1,100 receiving yards. It's it's crazy. Go ahead. I was going to say with that is just he he has eaten especially at Ford Field. Yeah. Like last year, it over it was like 223 yards or something last year. He only needed 30 more yards to hit that mark. Exactly. So that's the thing. Like you know, I think. That's one of the pieces where he is a shining star that we all know how important he is to this offense. Yeah. And then when he's out for the season, you know, you're doing everything you can to be competitive and to, to keep everything running. He gets back on that field and it's just a difference maker. So to see him going to Detroit and you're looking at it saying, it's even symbolically, I want to see him get 118 yards just to get to his mark. <laughs> yeah. And then he blows past that and is able to do a little bit of a gritty in the end zone for kind of, you know, one final time for the season. I just think for fans, that's something you look at it and say, yeah, you know, we still have the superstar on this team still fighting and competing. And I think everyone understands what he means at this point. And, you know, he is a leader. He's a captain. And he showed it on the field there Sunday. Yeah, I just remember, you know, being in that locker room post game, interviewing some of those guys and. Um, as somber as it felt, there there was a sense of of hope that this offseason is going to be huge for a lot of those guys. A lot of these guys, I just think of a, a guy in um, Justin Jefferson or Jordan Addison who who don't who are under contract but don't have any injuries or in any ailments that kind of keep them here and have them rehabbing for uh, another year. Granted, 
you know, they did get injured a few times this year, but still, like, having your offseason where you're, I guess, rehabbing an injury versus getting better and not having to worry about, I guess, some ailments, I think that's when the next play, I think that's when the players take the next step in their career. So kudos to these guys for staying healthy, but also uh, the, the veterans of the world, the Harrison Smiths, the Jordan Hicks of the world, uh, the, the fact that they were able to, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say man up, but, you know, kind of kind of go through some tough things to be able to to put the team on their back and finish the season out strong, Tatum. Yeah, the veteran leadership, I think, was so key, especially on the defensive side of things, because you had such a young group and it was a very unorthodox uh, defense. And with their leadership and buy-in, I think that just kind of leads the, the young guys by example. Um, Harrison Smith is very somber, I think, in his press conference. He's got some decisions he wants to make. There are a lot of guys who are, you know, unsure about their futures with the team. Um, and so I think when when you're in those situations, like, none of them wanted to go out with a loss. And, and a lot of them wanted to make sure they had some good good tape out there, right? Like, they want to sure. make sure that if this is their last time here, there's other teams who are still interested in them. Well, the, you're going out on a high note, and yeah. if, you know, depending on what your future is going to be. I think that's so much of when you hear people saying, oh, is the team going to tank for a draft pick? Mm-hmm. It's like the players don't feel that way. The coaches don't feel that way. They're fighting for jobs. You know, They're looking for not only their own reputation, but they're trying to get a new contract. They're trying right. to you know, fight for their future. So for a lot of those guys being able like the idea of of you know fighting for their till the end of the season is just it's a no-brainer um you know one of the things that I was thinking about was even going into the season one of the question marks that we had was there was a lot of veteran leaders who left just in general there was a there was a turnover going into the season and so we were looking at guys like Harrison Smith and, and Hicks and those guys to help make up for a Pat P leaving and a Kendricks leaving and I think you looked at those guys at how durable they were for the most part, um, barring something freak happening. And those guys, Daniel Hunter, they were the leaders in these different areas. Um, and it just kind of felt like they were trying to hold everything together as best as possible through all the adversity. Yeah, I just think about, you know, just guys who made a lasting impression because it's a league of what have you done for me lately, right? And uh, we talked about uh, just a, a handful of guys or almost two dozen guys that are on the last year of their contract this year. And uh, two guys that really stood out to me was Kyrus Tonga and Jonathan Bullard. Both guys had a tackle for loss. I mean, was valuable in stopping the run. And uh, that, that's pretty much all a lot of us wanted to see was who was going to step up to the occasion and not take this last game off, understanding that the chances were that you this Vikings team wasn't going to make the playoffs. So uh, I believe those are some positives. There are also some other positives to build on, on top of J.J., uh, Jordan Addison. I, I just think – the way this Vikings team handled the adversity this year with uh, the <laughs> the uh, car wash of quarterbacks <laughs> that we went through in a span of seven or eight weeks, uh, I, I believe that that shouldn't go unnoticed. And that's something that Kevin O'Connell and Quasi Adolfo Mensa addressed in their press conference earlier this week is uh, dealing with that adversity, understanding that this is a team that, you know, we, we put the best team out there, but when you have your quarterback – uh, you know, rip his Achilles or tear his Achilles week eight, it's going to be tough to bounce back from. No doubt about it. And I think that was something they obviously spoke about at length in their presser was, you know, you can you can sit there and plan for the season all you want. When injury hits, you better make sure that your depth is there. So I think that was something they talked about improving was, you know, making sure they had the best possible depth pieces because you never know what can happen in a season. Yeah. Our staff uh, editor Craig Peters was uh, in the in our little office area the other day, and he was like, "You know how many snaps the original eleven players had all together this season? All together, the the eleven, the first you know the eleven guys from training camp. How many snaps did they have together? Do you guys know, or do you want to guess? Good. Neither. <laughs> Neither. Okay, no guess, 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 um, guess. Oh man, the original eleven from training camp. The original 11th training camp. So, like, who started so Mar- the season? So, Marcus like- Davenport, is he completely Oh, sorry, on, on offense. On, on offense. offense. Yeah. I can, I mean, how and many snaps? From, like, from the season, like, the season kickoff Game against the Bucks. kickoff. That's starting 11. 100? Okay. That's a 30. Nine. Good Lord. Because Garrett Bradbury went out a little That's bit that true. game. Yep. And then by that time, Kirk was gone and JJ was gone. And it was it just kind of kept shuffling around. So nine snaps from the original 11. It, it is it is kind of crazy because you do have different personnel. He said yeah. the highest the highest number of snaps from any personnel group on offense was 60, wow. which is like a game. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that says a lot. And usually that's what you want. You want 60 from each personnel group, but there's usually like a personnel group that can get 100 or 70 or more than that. Sure. But 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 at the highest was like 61. Yeah, that's um that's an interesting number. I'm just thinking about just you know, the first few weeks of the season before J- – I mean, because after J.J. got injured, that's when things kind of went out of control with uh, the injuries as they started to stack up. So, But if you also think about it, you know, there were changes made at the offensive line position. Yeah. Um, you had different – just of the I – mean, That's where Cleveland started the year. That's the thing. So, like, guard. the point being, like, once you got to that point, you know, those numbers were gone. So, Oh, that, wow. Yeah, that's totally yeah. true. I didn't yeah. think about that. So that's crazy. Just it, It's crazy to think about you do all the offseason planning, you run through training camp, you say, here's our starting 11, let's do this, and then the entire season just is, is kind of crazy given all the changes that happened. I think another interesting stat would be how many snaps did the starting offensive line play together that yeah. was the starting offensive line week one. Because, I mean, once Dalton Reisner gets in there, that's a completely I mean, different. That, so. it's, it's almost nine at that point. Yeah, yeah. so that that's uh, that's interesting just thinking about, you know, the, the lack of chemistry we were able to build just due to players not being on the field. So um, in- interesting take. I, that that article is on Vikings. Is that on Vikings.com right now? You know, now? I don't know if he's put it in an article or not yet. Okay. I know he asked Kevin a little bit about that in the presser. Um, but that was just something he, you know, quizzed us on the other day. And I was like, holy moly, that's nice. not stuff. great. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> not good luck. <laughs> well, look, one, one thing that Kevin and Quasey talked about, which is probably going to be top of discussion this offseason, is what do you do with Kirk Cousins and Daniil Hunter? Just seeing the, the years that both of those guys had, uh, there, there is a ton of value around both of those guys' names. So I'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we have an offensive MVP, defensive MVP, and then rookie of the year. And um, Tatum, we'll start with you. Who is right. your offensive MVP this year? It's funny you that you mentioned my <laughs> offensive MVP because it's Kirk Cousins. And I called it a wild card pick because I do realize that he was not in the game from week 8 to week 18. True. But I think because of that, you almost saw what could have been and what he meant to this team. In you know, and for me, it was almost more an eye test, um, a results test too. I mean, I know that there wasn't a good start, but he was in such a groove when he suffered the torn Achilles. He was tied for the most touchdown passes, eighteen in the NFL at the time of the injury, and ranked second in passing yards when he ruptured the Achilles tendon. And I just think that. The locker room is such a Kirk Cousins fan. He has won those guys over, and they appreciate him. They trust him. And it really showed the importance of quarterback in this offense because they do have so many weapons around him between J.J. and Jordan and T.J. And you have an offensive line who they also kind of went through their own injury struggles. But it's almost like you could put someone – you need to have that position, and that offense will just hum. And uh, I thought it was really interesting today – when Quasey was asked about your thoughts on Kirk, like what do you want to do in the future? And he almost emphatically, before the guy even ended his question, was like, yes, we want him back. Yeah, um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, that's apparently the intention. He says it's the most important position in sport, and um, they want that comfortability there. Sure. So I could definitely see that being a huge option. Obviously, to both sides have to agree. But um, I thought that the MVP was Kirk for the reasons of you almost felt his absence more um, without, and, and I think just from he kind of won, he kind of won over the the heart. As opposed to feeling his absence when he's there, right? <laughs> I mean, I just look at the quarterback documentary and just how he won the the hearts of fans, and then the hearts of Minnesota, and then the hearts of the locker room, and then how the season started with him, you know, building that trust, building that chemistry, and then boom, all of that goes away uh, in a in lickety split fashion. So the the fact that. <laughs> we felt that we felt that absence and the fact that we n- could never fill that void pretty much explains why Quasi is saying, Hey, we want this guy back. We know what our offense can look like, even with a one legged Kirk, we know what our <laughs> offense can look like. Well, and how many Kirk people, how many people came up to you or you know, like uh, that are non football people or yeah. like, or they're the, the kind of fans that just want to root for the team and they're there for the support of the team that were like, man, I just love that Kirk Cousins. Right. Mm-hmm. Like people who weren't even Vikings fans were being like, "What's he like? Is he really like that?" that yes. Like the and Netflix he documentary. Capture, yeah. 
captivated, captured America's attention and the hearts of America. And yep. I, I think that that was just, I think that's been one of the weirdest, not weirdest things, but most like the coolest thing to observe so yeah. far. I, I had Uber drivers in Las Vegas <laughs> saying, nice. oh, you're from Minnesota. What do you think about Kirk Cousins? And I wow. have no idea yeah. you know, what yeah. I do, but same kind of thing. Like the amount of people that said, I watched that documentary and I think he's a really solid guy. I think yeah. between that and then just think about in that locker room, how many guys including Brian O'Neill in, in locker room, you know, clean-out day kind of a thing, just talking about how important he was as a leader and just why people respect him the way that they do. I think, you know, he's he's kind of proven he's done and doing everything he can to be a leader for this, this team. And yeah. I think, you know, he's earned that right to hopefully – between he and the front office, be able to try to figure something out. And and I think if, you know, they want him back, I think that locker room is going to be ecstatic to have him back as their leader. So um, I think he's he's done everything right and, and you know, said everything correctly that he that he needs to say. And he's still been involved. He's still been in the locker room. He's still carrying a boombox out for the, you know, yeah. the last home game kind of a thing and doing Kirko chains up, yeah. doing the Gallerhorn like – that might have been one of the biggest pops I've heard in that stadium since they opened it was just him coming out for that Gallerhorn that as awesome. that surprise. So hopefully, you know, they can find a way to make it work for both sides, and it would be great to see him get another run with him here next season. That's the perfect way to end um, 2023 with Kirk Cousins sounding the Gallerhorn. Like, I don't think anyone knew, well, fans And Cooper. And, and Cooper, Cooper Cousins. Yep. But, like, for fans, they had no idea. Yeah. They had no idea. So the fact I, that I Kirk did, went up I there, didn't either. Really? I'm really honest, yeah. We kept it quiet you as much as possible. You kept it so possible. quiet. I yeah. was like, I have to interview the Gallerhorn sounder, <laughs> and I don't even know who it is. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was uh, that you was a moment in time. Um, Jay, we're gonna stick with you. Sure. Uh, for me, uh, given the fact that we talked about having a guy like Kirk Cousins go out and some of the adversity that we had, we also had a guy in Justin Jefferson go out and just kind of everyone looking at who's going to be able to take over. Uh, for me, I kind of felt like actually having a guy in Jordan Addison step in was my offensive MVP. Mm. Main reason why is uh, he was a 23 overall draft pick for this team. And I think a lot of people were kind of questioning, saying, do we need to take a first-round wide receiver that high? We've got a Justin Jefferson. We've got a K.J. Osborne. You know, why? what are we doing here taking a guy like Addison? Just kind of feels like it's overkill. Well, think about what he did stepping in as needed in, in those big spots. He ended the season with 70 receptions, 911 yards, mm. and 10 touchdowns. That means he's number two, a past Randy Moss for the number two position all time for most receptions by a Vikings rookie wide receiver. And then he number also, one being number one being Justin. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And Jeez. then he's uh, tied for second most touchdowns by a rookie in a rookie season with Sammy White wow. with 10. Wow. So mm. Randy Moss's rookie season, he had 69 receptions, 1,313 yards, and 17 touchdowns in 11 starts in 16 games. So that was Randy Moss's rookie season. Jeez. Justin Jefferson had 88 receptions, 1,400 yards, and seven touchdowns, 14 starts in 16 games. So for me, having a guy like Addison step up in an offense where he's not necessarily thought of as going to be the primary guy, given yeah. that you have yeah, Justin Jefferson true. on that field, but man, did he step up when he was needed and fill in. And man, I think the fans really kind of felt like we've got another one here and so if you're going to be able to have a little bit of a Batman and Robin situation with a guy like Justin and Jordan, I think that's going to be a great recipe for the future, no matter who the quarterback's going to be. Absolutely. And I just vividly remember J.J. when he when he pulled his hamstring against the Chiefs. Uh, it was closer to the end of the game, and uh, we went to the Chicago Bears the following week, and we were trying to figure out, like, how do you replace J.J.? We knew it was a Bears team, but I was trying to figure it out. And uh, I believe Jordan had a, he had a touchdown catch that game, but – Coming back to U.S. Bank Stadium the following week after that Bears game, it was like, okay, it's primetime, uh, Monday night football, San Francisco 49ers. Like, how does Jordan Addison show up? Like, what what type of Jordan Addison is the is going to be displayed for the whole world to see? And uh, first drive of the game, uh, he runs a slant route, gets the ball snatched away from him. Yeah. And then a few plays later or a few drives later, that's when the Jordan Addison steps onto the scene. He has the long touchdown pass. I believe it was 60 yards where he snatched the ball away from the same corner, and it was like, okay, now we get to see what this rookie uh, wide receiver can be in this offense. So kudos to him just being able to bounce back his rookie season. Yeah, to me with that, it was just showing the tenacity. I think yeah. you know one of the things you look at rookies and kind of try to figure out 
when do they take that step to feel like they're no longer a rookie but they're a pro? Mm-hmm. And like you said, early in the game, kind of having the ball taken from him, you're just kind of like, come on, man, you know, we, we need you. Mm-hmm. And then later in the game, just to see him basically say, that ain't happening again, mm-hmm. and turn it on, hitting that touchdown, that was a huge moment for this team. And I think it really helped him just solidify, especially publicly, that you know, I'm I'm here. I'm a pro. This is this is I'm supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, he was just a big boost to be able to have him on this team, given some of the different uh, discrepancies we had in the roster due to injury. I will save my comments for a maybe a later show update. He might be a candidate for rookie of the year. <laughs> just saying. Man, I feel like we should just move to rookie of the year at this one. <laughs> nah, nah. No, my offensive MVP is T.J. Hawkinson. Just the the impact that he made with every quarterback that was on this roster uh, was felt. And when he got injured later in the year, that's when some of our offensive production started to decrease. Um, I was doing some some work on just some of the stats that, that TJ put together this year. And of course, he almost had 1,000 yards receiving. He had 960 yards with 95 receptions and five touchdowns. But he had four different quarterbacks throwing him the ball. And I was just looking at the different splits between between those quarterbacks. And uh, with Kirk Cousins, he had almost 500 receiving yards with Josh Dobbs, over 300, and then Nick Mullins, almost 175 receiving yards. So the fact that he was the go-to option for every quarterback and he pretty much bailed everyone out week in and week out, um, his presence, in my opinion, was, was most felt. Um, J.J., I, I believe, I know nobody has said J.J. is our offensive MVP, even though he's had four straight 1,000-yard receiving seasons. But those five weeks that J.J. was out and – Jordan Addison was trying to figure out, you know, his full identity. TJ Hawkinson, in my opinion, was the one constant that Vikings fans and everyone could lean on uh, just due to his, you know, size, his structure, his veteran leadership, and uh, everything that went into it. And uh, while I did name the receiving stats for for TJ Hawkinson, I believe him as a blocking tight end got that much better. That was one of his goals this year because he knew he could run routes, he can uh, beat one-on-one coverage, but Blocking those outside linebackers, being able to to seal an edge on an outside zone read where the running back is running outside of him and not let the defender push him back, I, I believe he made an extra step in his career uh, this year. I'm, I'm interested to see how he recovers from that ACL surgery. Um, it, just very unfortunate how that happened. But still, TJ, in my opinion, just week in and week out, if you're in the locker room, you, you kind of saw some of those bruises and uh, some of the bumps that he had on his body. But week in and week out, he – you know, did what he needed to do to be out there on that field and, and show up and show off for his teammates. I mean, that rib injury, you know, yeah. they, that was so significant. And he just played right through it. Yep. He was in there the next game. He was getting hit after hit. There were so many times I was wincing from, like, the press box or the field. I'm like, oh, no, please get up. Because, like, I could tell that, like, it just was so uncomfortable. Sure. Yep. There were times in the locker room afterwards where he was walking so slow. And I was like, man, that's got to hurt. How does this man play? Um, it's so impressive how tough he is. Yep. Um, really happy that he's here with an extension, hoping the best for his rehab because he's definitely someone that completes this offense moving forward for sure. Yeah, I, I think it was interesting to see how, you know, TJ started the season off. Um, you know, of course, you know, he got that contract right before the season started. And um, a lot of people were wondering, was TJ going to live up to the expectations of what Kevin O'Connell and Quasi valued him as when it came to the dollar amount? And, Of course, he got off to a slow start, but I feel like once we got to about week four, week five, after we played the Kansas City Chiefs, I really believe TJ started to believe that he was the best tight end in the NFL. And week in and week out, we started to see his production just ramp up. So uh, playing through those injuries, I feel like he just kind of bought into um, what this team needed from him. And um, we, we saw the results of that right before he got injured. So. Uh, it, w- it was really cool to see. I think being able to have a guy like TJ Hawkinson and then adding Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison as your kind of primary three weapons yeah. on this offense, I think that is a massive embarrassment of riches for a quarterback to be able to play with. And I think a guy like Hawkinson also benefits from having uh, Jordan and JJ stretch the field a little bit more and kind of leave him those those uh, uh, seam routes and everything. And I think one thing about Hawkinson too is, like Tatum was just saying, you know he's willing to stick his nose in there and 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 kind of go for the um, difficult catch and and just kind of be able to produce no matter what. So mm-hmm. I think you want a guy with kind of his abilities and his tenacity to be able to be a, a kind of a cornerstone for your offense. And I think uh, 
we're all you know hoping and praying for him that uh, this offseason goes well. Jay, we're going to stick with you. Defensive MVP. Sure. Who was yours? Mine this season was Daniil Hunter. Uh, mm-hmm. Main reason I brought up Daniil is just because as uh, a leader – and as somebody who is, you know, fighting for a contract this yeah. this com- upcoming offseason, everyone kind of assumed he would have a pretty solid season. He had the best season of his career. Mm-hmm. He had the most combined tackles and the most sacks of his career. 83 combined tackles, 16 and a half sacks. Um, and for those in a single season, you know, it just kind of feels like he understood what the assignment was. And not only was he um, kind of wreaking havoc for quarterbacks in the backfield, but he was the amount of times you would see him kind of reading a uh, you know handoff or something like that and kind of jumping in the backfield or blowing something up off the edge in that, that outside linebacker position. Mm. He, to me, felt like his presence was made every single week. And so for me, it was just one of those things where he was a standout option and he's going to be a standout option here this this uh, upcoming free agency period. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm hoping we are able to resign him just because of what he has meant to this defense. And it sounded like, you know, he was saying all the right things in the locker room on Monday. <laughs> but um, to me, Daniil was just a difference maker. And, and in, for a team that was in need of some pass rush as much as they could get, he was the guy that everyone leaned on. 16 and a half sacks, the yep. fourth most in a season in Vikings history. Like yeah. that that I mean, we're talking about just some of the greats. Kind of quietly too. Very right? much so. Like you just assumed every week all of a sudden you look in the stat line and it's just like he was, you know, the lone guy in week 18 that had a sack and it just kind of felt like week to week he was the one constant showing up on that defensive sheet when it came to, you know, people being able to pressure the quarterback and 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 get those sacks. So for me, he, he just to me felt like he was the guy that I could point to as who was the most impactful there on defense yeah you know if you take him out of the equation it would have been really difficult to try and uh and make this make this defense work and and you could see that you know how much trust Brian Flores had in that because he knew there wasn't a ton of guys at the line that he had at his at his at his fingertips to be mm-hmm. able to bring the pressure so he got creative in other ways but if if his guys at the core and that front line weren't doing their jobs we would have seen a lot a lot of different results, I think. And you saw guys like uh, Pat Jones and and DJ Wanham stepping up in big games as well. And, and mm-hmm. I just think it's the combo platter we've always seen, at least in the last probably 20 years here on this team. If you have a combo platter of outside edge rushers, you know, defensive ends or outside linebackers who are able to squeeze off of one side, then that means that they're having to double team against kind of whoever the primary is and it leaves the other guys one-on-one. So not only is he kind of – Offense is having to adjust to where he is, but it's also freeing up linebackers, safeties, and and uh, other defensive ends and outside linebackers to be able to do what they need to do. So, f- for me, he was just such a difference maker. I mean, we didn't even mention the run game. Yeah, I mean, what he did in the run game. I just keep thinking about that Atlanta Falcons game when they got the ball in their own one yard line. Um, yeah, and, and Danil, chased it down off the backside yep. and, and kept them out of the end zone. Yep. Like there, there's multiple times this year you just saw him. No matter where he was, it was usually in the backfield at some point, yeah. and um, and just kind of making them uncomfortable. Whether it was quarterbacks, mm-hmm. running backs, I mean, offensive linemen officially, mm-hmm. they were on skates a lot of times with that guy, and he's just as an absolute beast. So he was my guy. He was my my standout for defense this year. Tatum, who's your standout for defense? My standout for defense is not one singular person. It is the group of safeties. I think you can even track it back all the way to training camp when that roster was released, and all of a sudden you see six safeties on the <laughs> roster, and you're yeah. like, hmm, something's up with that. Explain. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of saw it evolve uh, throughout the season. Um, three of the top five tacklers on the team were the safeties, led by Bynum with 137 tackles. Mattel's had 116. Harrison mm. Smith with 93. They combined for 10 forced fumbles, three interceptions, 16 passes deflected. Six sacks and 17 quarterback hits. And a partridge in a pear tree. I know, right? <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, I just think that it was a three-safety look a lot of times was bred out of necessity. But I think it really played into the hands super well of these guys. Um, Harrison Smith holding down the old-school safety ways mm-hmm. and being a good communicator. Cam Bynum all over the field. I mean, the the guy barely missed a tackle. He was always felt like he was in the right place at the right time. And then Josh Metellus, Mr. Everything, you know, playing linebacker at times, being, you know, playing safety, getting, getting in coverage. Um, how about Cam Bynum playing corner? 
you know, getting back to his roots, playing corner <laughs> in the last two games, just a little bit. The first game where he started, but the last, yeah. you know, the Lions game, just playing a little bit. But uh, just the way that they were used to disguise looks, mm-hmm. how they were bunched together at the line of scrimmage pre-snap, and then they were, by the time, you know, when the ball was snapped, they were spread out, trying to confuse. A lot of quarterbacks, I think, was part of Brian Flores's secret weapon of sorts. Um, like I said, bred out of necessity because sure. I think that they could have used a little bit more depth at cornerback. But the three safeties for me really carried this defense. Yeah, it, it was a very unique take yeah. um, or very unique angle going into this year of seeing how many safeties were on the roster, like you said. And uh, just seeing how that played out. I mean, the 10 forced fumbles is probably the, the biggest stat that stands out to me. Just 10 forced fumbles between those three guys. Uh, usually on defense, when <laughs> your your safeties are leading the team in tackles, that's yeah, usually not a good thing. <laughs> not the greatest thing in the world, but how Brian Flores used the safeties, it, it pretty much was best case scenario for our defense. So, uh, really good point there. Yeah, for me, I think that the safeties were very much the backbone of that. You know, the back end of the defense that as they're supposed to be, but they're not used in normal ways. Yeah, it's not like they're just sitting back there in cover two and just kind of hanging out, waiting to see what comes into their zone. It's they're blitzing. They're like you said, up in the line and dropping back, um, delayed blitzing, and then even trying to cover um, and, and dropping into coverage in unorthodox ways. And I think that's not only confusing for the offense, but can be confusing for the defense if you don't have people that know their assignments. So um, the fact that Flores trusts them as much as he did, and the amount that they were used this season, was a testament to not only um, you know Flores and kind of his scheme, but just how much work those players and coaches put into making sure everyone was sound in their assignments. So it was great to watch them, and um, you know I just think the that core moving forward for the future, there's some great young leadership that's also stepping up there. And to me, I, I think the the position's in really good hands at this point. I, I agree. I agree. And um, kind of leads me to my defensive MVP. And that's Brian Flores. Just what he did in year one with this defense is something that I don't think I've ever seen in, in, in such a quick turnaround. Just going from the, you know, the 2022 and the 2021 seasons, the Vikings were either last place or second to last in almost every statistical category. This year, they were in the top half in scoring defense, total defense, and yards per play. And then the most impressive stat for me was the yards per rush. The Vikings rank fourth in the NFL in yards per rush with 3.8 yards allowed per carry. The goal, if you look at the goals in the defensive meeting room, the number one goal every year is hold the opposing team to four yards per carry. The fact that the Vikings actually did that like that that says a lot about the guy calling the plays or the guy orchestrating the defense. I mean, I'm talking about yards per rush when it came to run defense. The Vikings were 8th in the NFL and just looking at like I said with all due respect, looking at what we had on paper going into this year and then compounding that with the injuries that we had on defense to be able to have a stat line like this that goes to show the work that Brian Flores put in uh week in and week out. Like I I've had numerous conversations uh, with B-Flow all year long. And a lot of those conversations ended with, yeah, that's that's why I stay up late at night. Sure. Or I ask him a question like, yeah, that's why I stay up, stay up late at night. And clearly those long nights paid off. And uh, hopefully, you know, that, that continues to trend upward as B-Flow continues to grow this defense year in and year out. I think if you're the defense, if there's one thing you want to hang your hat on, it is the fact you actually held an NFL offense mm. to a goose egg mm. in Las Vegas. Yeah. I think that was kind of the epitome of yeah. – Everything coming together defensively. The fact that you won a game three to nothing in Las Vegas and you put hung a goose, yeah, hung a goose egg on, on the Raiders' offense was incredibly impressive. Adding on to that, it's it's tough to hold a team to no points in the NFL, but to do that in another team's home stadium, yeah, that was the first time since 2011 the Raiders have been shut out at home. So to do that while scoring three points on offense, like that was back in Oakland. Back in back in it was against the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm trying to think. I was I was looking at the last time uh, before that when um, the Raiders had a game where they were held scoreless, and it was against the St. Louis Rams. Sure, and it's just like, dude, the, I mean, time has passed <laughs> since we've seen something like this happen. So yeah, that, that's a really good point, Jeff. As we move on to our final superlative of the show, I want to highlight. The Rookie of the Year. Um, I'll I'll start with this. And um, my Rookie of the Year is going to be Ivan Pace. I mean, I know we just talked about 
that Las Vegas Raiders game. That was kind of the coming to welcome to the NFL moment or having the NFL say, hey, welcome to the Ivan Pace world because Ivan Pace had 13 tackles that game, a sack, an interception, and was the NFC defensive player of the week. I, I just believe Ivan Pace, just his story from being undrafted to being undersized to not knowing if he was going to start. I mean, you can we've documented this guy's story uh, week in and week out, and for him to lead all rookies in tackles, be fourth in uh, fourth on the team in tackles, third in solo tackles on the team, fifth in sacks, uh, third in interceptions, fourth in QB hits. I mean, top five in all those statistical categories for a rookie undrafted free agent. That that was something that really stood out to me, and uh, just his impact. Also, I mean, the guy stayed healthy. We we always know the best ability is availability, and he was available week in and week out, starting seventeen, starting eleven games while playing in all seventeen. He's my rookie of the year, and I, I know we can. You know, debate other guys, but for me, I just think just what he did was was very impactful for our entire team. Yeah, I can see why. I mean, he's got that dog in him. That's what he says all the time. <laughs> his dad, his dad always told him that's the mindset you need to have. Like people are always going to discount you, but like your play on the field will speak for itself. And you got that dog in you, and yeah. then that's all he all he lives by. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, it's funny but hear you saying because I sound so silly saying it. I, yeah, but, I, I clearly don't. But, so, but you're uh, right. But you, honestly, you're right though. You're like, you're, you're hundred percent right. So it's, it's a mentality, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, he, he makes up for maybe the physical intangibles that he wasn't blessed with. But that's the thing, at least on my end, you, you look at a guy like him and say, how did the entire league get it wrong mm. over and over again and miss on this guy as impactful as he's been for this team it's incredible yeah. and we're incredibly fortunate to be able to have him on this team I think he is one of those you know I know this is getting ahead of myself but kind of the John Randall diamond in the rough type mm. guys that mm-hmm. gets identified and and the fact that he chose to come to Minnesota where he saw an opportunity I think this guy is is uh, poised to be a member of this franchise for a very long time given yeah. what he's just done and scratched the surface his rookie season. I know I told this story before earlier in the year, but um, my college roommate coached Ivan Pace in college at the University of Cincinnati. And once we signed Ivan Pace in the undrafted free agency period uh, after the draft concluded, uh, I texted my guy and I was like, so tell me about this guy and Ivan Pace because I had seen him play uh, week, I believe it was week one, 2021, when we played the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. And he sent me like this long paragraph of everything that Ivan does for the team. And my guy isn't a, a person that's going to give out too many accolades or too many praises. So the fact that he said that and then fast forward to last week, um, I saw my, my guy. He's at Notre Dame now, but he was at the Liberty Oregon game in Phoenix. And we went out for a drink and he was like, I told you so. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I told you about Ivan Pace and just seeing how it all you know played itself out. I'm so happy to have Ivan Pace in purple. Yeah, it's great. All right. Tatum, it's on you. All right, so I'm piggybacking off Jay's offensive MVP. My rookie of MVP is Jordan Addison. I feel like there really was two very obvious choices for this award on this team. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to have your first round, like your first round pick making an immediate impact, that's really what you want. And obviously, Jordan Addison did just that. I'm so impressed with his body control. There were so many times he was catching balls. I think there was this one sideline catch I remember where he just like plucked the ball to the sideline and kept his two toes Hmm. right inside the line. He was toe tapping. Yes. Tony toe tap. Exactly. It was amazing. And then he's caught several balls at his shoelaces and like just the way he's had to like, he tries to read the ball. I mean, it's, it's, you know, he's still working on the, that a little bit because I know, you know, he slowed up against the Lions on that one, that one catch. But, but there have been times where he's had to like slow up. He gets, he, he slows up, gets the pass interference call. Like there are just things that you can tell. He understands and knows football. He gets it. One thing that's great with him is he's kind of got a little bit of that uh, Chris Carter body control. Um, just he's advanced in, in those aspects because, like you just said, I think his first and one of possibly his most impressive catches is one that was ruled not a catch. Yeah, I just remember that the Seahawks game, his first preseason game, it was not ruled a catch. It was on the opposing sideline. He got both feet in, but of course, it's preseason so why would Kevin O'Connell challenge right and that's the thing so for me to to have those kind of moments that you saw right out the gate you kind of went "Ooh, we might might have something Mm -hmm. here and then just to see it evolve throughout the entire season I think he 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 showed why they were as high as they are on him so again Tatum 
you know, I feel <laughs> I, I feel about him at this I point. I do, but I agree with you. I think you know, as a rookie of the year candidate, I think he is absolutely deserving at this. Yeah, point. I think there there's a very big difference between Addison, Jefferson, and Hawkinson, and then like the crew of wide receivers behind them and tight ends behind them. Respectfully, respectfully, yes. And, and I'm not saying that like they're not a big difference, but for a rookie to come in and to command 108 targets in in the season and to be able to draw man coverage and to be the long ball threat, the deep threat, the speed. He's able to to get out there while JJ is half the time being, you know, double covered and sometimes even triple covered, which will leave JA open. So I don't know. I th- I think this was such a hit for Quasey in the front office. I'm excited to see what's to come for him. But uh, I definitely think out of this rookie class, he is my MVP. Yep. I think, I mean, you guys just named so many great points of what he did in the receiving game and how he uh, draw double coverage and took double coverage off JJ and provided and I guess garnered respect from opposing defenses. But one thing that really stood out to me that I believe he progressed at the most is his run blocking. I remember talking to Keenan McCardell of like, hey, like how important is run blocking when it comes to the wide receiver position? And he started mentioning some Jordan Addison plays. And I just look at just this past week, uh, we threw two or three screens and Jordan Addison's blocking the cornerback to the sideline finishing the play and I'm like all right th- this guy has has learned from his mistakes one he's coachable and that's yeah. the 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 most that's the the number one thing you want to be if you're a first round pick because you got all the money in the world you know you're getting the ball but the fact that he's coachable and then he's selfless you can't teach that like those are just two things that just you, you have to learn and you have to grow and you just have to understand if you want to be a complete wide receiver so uh, just re- really good points, and I'm, I'm happy Jordan Addison's on our team. Jay, I'm going to get your thoughts on our final superlative of the year. So, let's see. You took Ivan Pace Jr., you took Jordan Addison, <laughs> and I go, you're both right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. No, Settle it. For me, it's, I, I, I think those are the two home run hitters. You know, one of the guys that actually, um, and I was trying to figure out, you know, is there anyone else, especially rookie-wise, that that came in and, and had a noticeable season? You know, one of the guys that jumped out to me a little bit as well was uh, Makai Blackman, just yeah. to see what he did. Um, uh, coming off the draft, you know, people were kind of curious as to what he was going to be able to bring to the team. He had a solid season, but, I mean, like we just said, Jordan Addison setting records, Ivan Pace Jr. stepping into a starting role, wearing the green dot was crucial, and, and being able to step in when – you had guys like Jordan Hicks go out with injury. I think both of those guys became incredibly important to both sides of the ball, and to have them moving forward, I think we are incredibly fortunate. The cornerback position is going to be a huge priority for uh, this team this offseason. Not sure how they're going to address it, whether that's free agency or the draft, but I, I would bet my bottom dollar that the Vikings have a new cornerback added to this roster this upcoming offseason. So um, it was good to see Makai play. Uh, get his you know reps. I mean, we were high on him this off season, and I would say he performed pretty well given given the the opportunities that was provided for him, at least for a rookie. I believe he was listed as the third most plays defensively at the cornerback position, and so to have a guy like Makai be able to you know step in as a rookie. I mean, we've been talking about how many times with all these different groups, you get a bunch of young guys in there, and you got to make sure that their assignment sound. And again, to me, there was a, a bunch of times this year you kind of went. Oh, that's Makai, you know, yeah. making a play. And so that was why I brought his name up, was just kind of thinking through besides those other two obvious ones for me. He was somebody that really stood out. Would it be a Vikings draft if they didn't pick a cornerback? No. High, <laughs> no. high round cornerback? Just saying. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm just throwing I'm it out even, there. I'm not Mirage, it's been a trend. Yes. There you it, go. But And the thing is, you know, if you think about Is that a slippery slope? Maybe no. so. But if you think <laughs> no, about, you know, not. you had a guy in Mike Zimmer who was kind of the the cornerback guru and and you know that was kind of his bread and butter I think if you really think about in the NFL like what is important a pass rush a cornerback possibly a safety and then superstar explosive offensive players and that is the thing if you really think about it at least on the surface level we have a ton of guys in those positions that have been difference makers I think so much of it then turns into, like we said, last year you started to transition from some of the older veteran players to more of a younger roster. A lot of those guys got reps this year, and so going into year two, three, and four for some of them, 
Uh, next year is going to be an incredibly important season for them, and hopefully that experience they earned this season is going to pay off moving forward for this team because you're not going to be rookies or sophomores anymore. You're going to be NFL players, and you're going to be expected to produce. Well, unfortunately, the Viking season comes to an end at 7-10. and 10. However, the playoffs are still alive, and there are still 14 teams that will be in contention for the Super Bowl this year. And, of course, we all know the Ravens are the one seed in the AFC and then the San Francisco 49ers are the one seed in the NFC. But this playoff picture, I I personally do not believe that it will be a one-versus-one Super Bowl. There are some very interesting matchups, and I I just believe this will be one of the most entertaining uh, playoffs that we have seen in quite some time. Jay, I see you smiling. The reason I'm smiling, here's my stupid stat of the day. Ready? (laughs) This playoff season will be the first non-Brady Manning playoff wow. since when did when was Manning drafted or when was Tom Brady drafted? 90? So this will be the first non-playoff season with Brady or Manning since when? <sighs> Man, two thousand ninety nine ninety eight ninety eight. We were close. Yeah. So oh. the the year that the Vikings were making a run in nineteen ninety eight oh, wow. with Randall Cunningham, Randy Moss as a rookie. Dang. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Were they both there? Man. Or 99 was wow. their first playoff season. So it's going to be a crazy one. It always is. Wildcard round is actually one of my favorite times of the year because yeah. this is very much the David versus Goliath type time of year. And I think there's some incredible matchups here that the NFL just the script makers wrote it up perfectly <laughs> for me. I mean, for this, this Lions Rams matchup that script makers are like cashing in the big bucks for that one. Seriously, quarterbacks traded from teams facing each other in the playoffs. Correct. Give me a break. Correct. And then you got the the Packers Cowboys. The Packers are the Cowboys. Crypt it tonight. is. Yeah, I mean the no catch catch. No catch catch. I mean the the Aaron Rodgers rolling out to the left, throwing it to Donald Driver, I believe, and yeah. the, the Tony toe tap on the, the sideline. The Mike McCarthy connection. <sighs> the, exactly. Like there's. I mean, Ugh, love it. Bill Stillers. I mean, <gasps> this this is going to be interesting. I mean, the Chiefs aren't aren't a one seed. We get to see the Chiefs on Wild Card Weekend against the fastest team in the NFL. Do you the Miami think? Dolphins. Do you think Miami's uh, Tyreek? A little, right. a little upset about losing that game week 18? Would they rather be hosting the Bills at home or going to Kansas City for one of potentially the coldest games in NFL yeah, what's playoff the temp history? Be? Uh, the high for the day is 14, the low is negative 3, and they are talking about having uh, snow late in the night and it being potentially at least is, 10 below zero winters. Is that safe? Uh, <laughs> We've done it before here. Okay, just wondering. You know, I'm the <laughs> non-Minnesotan no, no, in the no. room, along with Gabe, but I don't understand. So I went to Arrowhead for an AFC Championship game when they played the Titans a couple of years ago. Well, yeah. three or four years ago. And it was like low 40s, windy as heck. Yeah. And so, like, it was just so cold. And then, granted, <laughs> I had not lived in Minnesota or the North at all. So that was, like, really terrible for me. I cannot imagine it being, like, 14 degrees. Now, now expe- that uh, game's at 8 p.m. Eastern. No. Yes. It's a 7 o'clock at So it's going to be negative temps. Yeah. Easily. So, th- so the forecast is <sighs> high at 10, low at negative 4, 10 to 15 mile an hour winds for the game. Yeah, Miami, Miami, no. And I was going to say is, and there's a whole lot of Miami guys that are yeah. going to be rolling into a <laughs> minus Kansas City hard field I mean, doesn't this seem like a Bud Grant story? 100%. But here's the thing. The one thing that I think Miami might be able to do is lean on the running game in a cold weather game like that. For sure. And so they have two absolute studs. So you might be, it might be a uh, Mostert versus Pacheco style game. In yeah. A-Chan. And, and A-Chan. Yeah, and, that's and, my dude. That's my And, and Jarek and those guys. Like, it, 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 that game that we all expect to be thrown all over the field might just turn into the running game and and see what kind of offensive defensive line smash mouth that you get for that game. I think Taylor opts out of this one because of the temps. <laughs> of course, s- I'm talking about Taylor Swift. <laughs> S- sitting in a uh, in a skybox, nice and toasty. Yeah, so I, I have my "Tis the Damn Season" shirt on, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> I'm just thinking about um, just that six degree. I'm reading this article and it says at kickoff the temperature is supposed to be hovering around six degrees at kickoff. Yeah, hard pass. <laughs> no I, and I, I put any kind of money that stadium will be sold out 
Oh, it's going to be crazy. Oh, I didn't even think. You know what? That's the kind of thing where I'm like, look, I get it, but I am watching this thing indoors. <laughs> true, true. I mean, I can only imagine the the two years we were at um, Huntington Big Stadium here and just yeah. those playoff games, nope. like how cold that was. Nope. I mean, we, we would have had to be there. I mean, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. If it was an outdoor stadium, I may not have taken the job. <laughs> well, but even, like, even for us, though, on those games that were ridiculously cold, uh, we'd be sitting up running the game up up in the uh, upper kind of skybox area. We'd have the windows open so we could hear what was going on. So, yeah, you're indoors, but there's concrete floor below you freezing your feet. There's the air coming in. Like, now, it's good. just the way football's supposed to be. Amazon does make some pretty neat gadgets. That is correct. Where, like, the other day at the Patriots game, a friend of mine, Jen Hale, does the sidelines for Fox. Jen. And she was wearing battery-operated feet and soles. That is correct. Leggings, hat, and gloves. Yeah, I get it. I, I would do it. <laughs> I get it. I've yes. She's also a Louisiana girl, sure. you know, so she's probably, you know, we we tend to over exaggerate how cold we are because we can't live in those conditions. I'll look forward to watching that game with my war- on my warm couch. There you uh, go. This, Same. This Saturday night. I selfishly want to see a Cowboys Steelers Super Bowl. Oh wow, that's like classic. I mean, Cowboys, well, I guess Cowboys 49ers NFC Championship would be crazy. I just want to see Mason, Mason, Mason Rudolph, Rudolph take the Steelers to the Super Bowl after they were all like, you know, yeah, naysayers. Yeah, dead Plus, selfishly, it's like I want to watch my in-laws and my family squirm because <laughs> they both love both teams. And I, I just want to see it, sure. you know? Uh, one of the ones that's interesting for me is the very first game this Saturday, Cleveland at Houston, mm. the Deshaun Watson Bowl. Just having, God, just having just, Cleveland play yeah. the the you know, Texans, I think that's going to be crazy. And also think about the fact that Energy Stadium will go from having the national championship yep. game to the very first playoff, game, a playoff game in less yeah. than a week. So it's it, they've got to be— Hats off to you, NRG. That yeah. has got to be an absolute logistical nightmare to try to <laughs> switch everything over that way. But, man, it's got to be a lot of fun down in Houston being oh, able yeah. to have access to all of that. And it's warm. Yeah, Honestly, <laughs> that the Eagles-Buccaneers matchup is underrated because the Eagles have been— They could knock I, them out of the playoffs. I wouldn't say tanking because that's not the word to use, but the Eagles haven't been playing their best football, nope. and the Buccaneers have. So— that's, That's an a, interesting yeah. matchup, also. Yeah. I think I think the Bucks have a sh- have a big chance to knock them out. Which Buc- would, Bucks are at home, right? Which which would be a very interesting addition to the whole NFC South sucks conversation. I, Just saying. I, 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 for me, it's the idea that Philly has completely fumbled the bag. Yeah, being the oh, only easily. team to never get twelve wins after starting ten and one. Crazy. Like they are insane. They, it's it's nuts, but it's Philly yeah. and the playoffs, and I think everyone just assumes. Here we go again. They're going to find a way to turn it on. But the real question for me is what's Baker got left up his sleeve? And I think that as Bucks defense. But that's the thing is like the secondary is super tight. The Genius question though. about, but the question is going to be like, you know, what happens with AJ Brown, you know, coming off the knee injury, et cetera. Yeah. What can they do against that defense, let alone what kind of uh, misery they're going to try to put Watson in? So it, How's it, Jalen's finger? Exactly. So like it's, it's going to be, it's a weird one, man. It's, it really is what? weird. If you'd have thought 10 and 1 Philly, Going to Tampa in the playoffs, you're like, oh, man, they're going to roll them. Yeah. And now we're all sitting here saying, eh, I don't think so. As much as I love this guy, why does Jameis Winston feel like the loser in all of this? <laughs> I, actually, you know what? It's <laughs> funny because the amount of people that are ex-teammates or teammates of yeah. him coming out saying he is the best guy in the of locker course. room. I think he's actually – it almost kind of turned into a win for him, just the amount of love he's got from people. So. Yeah, I'm just looking at Tom Brady took over his team, took him to a Super Bowl, and two years later, Baker Mayfield has the same team and takes him <laughs> to the playoffs. So it's like – and Jameis couldn't do that when he was a starting quarterback there. But like I said, I'm a huge Jameis fan just going back to his high school days. Well, sure. That's a podcast. <laughs> that's a that long is, one. That's a long podcast. That's if, a wrap-up. Thank you guys again for tuning in week in and week out to the show. We will have multiple shows this offseason, so make sure you stay up-to-date on Vikings.com for the most up-to-date coverage of the team. For Jay Nelson, Tatum Everett, and our producer, Eric Davidson, my name is Gabe Henderson. Talk to you soon. 87% of our food comes from rural America. Farmers are incredible, agriculture is incredible, and rural is incredible. Lando Lakes is a farmer-owned cooperative and proud official sponsor of the Minnesota Vikings. Say hello to flawlessly smooth skin at Pure Lux Med Spa, the preferred med spa of the Minnesota Vikings cheerleaders. Specializing in elite laser hair removal, body contouring, Botox, cosmetic filter, and age-defying skin care treatments such as Diamond Glow and Skin Pen for collagen induction therapy. 
For more information, visit MyPureLux.com backslash Vikings for exclusive offers to Vikings fans. That's www.MyPureLux.com backslash Vikings.